Hey. Uh, welcome to our panel. I am your moderator, Sarah Burr, from uh, Reporter with TechCrunch. And uh, we have with us, I'll, I'll let you go down the line and introduce yourselves just to kind of kick that off. Sure. Hello, good morning. Uh, I'm Gopi Sangha. I work for Golden Voice. Uh, I'm the director of digital strategy there. Uh, we operate about 10 music venues throughout California, and uh, we produce music festivals nationwide, uh, Coachella, Stagecoach, Big Barrel, Firefly, a bunch of other fun stuff. Um, yeah. Great. Uh, what's up? My name's Chris Krajewski. I'm with uh, UTA, United Talent Agency, um, head of electronic music there. Look after guys like Moby, Crystal Method. Um, and I also uh, am on the digital side, work with the digital team and the virtual reality team over there, uh, exploring music and technology. Excited to be here. Hi, I'm Toby Gabriner, uh, CEO of a company called Magnify. And today's actually a big day for us. We uh, uh, relaunched our product. We're really focused around connecting fans into the live music scene. So if you go on our app, you can do everything from get notified of artists that uh, you love and, and uh, uh, also do a lot of discovery of artists that you may not know. Um, we offer uh, the ability for you to listen to those artists um, and then actually go purchase tickets uh, um, for shows that are playing uh, near you. So we sort of re-aggregate a very fragmented market. I encourage all of you to either check us out at magnify.fm or download our app today um, so really happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, my name is Donnie Dench. Um, started a company called Will Call and recently sold it to Ticketfly, where I now head up product design. We got a shout out there. <laughs> I want to start this off with because this is a really kind of a very broad topic, online to offline. That's sort of encompassing the entire music industry. So really, we could talk about anything we wanted to on this panel right now. But I do want to start off with, with, with where the market is right now, because we have two, two guys who run tech companies, and we have someone with a, you know, representing the artists, and we have someone who represents, yeah, exactly. So maybe if we start off with, what does that mean online to offline? We're, we're, uh, from what I understand, the artists are making most of their money through live performances now. It's not through record sales if I'm correct. And, and so what does that mean online to offline for artists? Well, I mean, that's absolutely correct. I mean, we're, we're seeing uh, a growth, obviously, in the, on the live side and the live ticketed side. I mean, these are things that are quite obvious to a lot of folks that there's a growth in, in the live sector. Um, but we've also seen is that, um, you know, the relationship between the, the music industry and, and the tech industry has always been a, an interesting one because the music industry tends to react and be reactionary to the technology that's being uh, dispersed and, and assimilated. Um, and it's kind of a shame. We've seen that on the, the, the recorded side. And uh, for many years, the music industry was constantly reacting to digital revolution. And on the live side, we've always said, well, nothing's going to affect live music. Nothing's going to recreate that. And that is true, but we are now seeing a lot of new technology that's being created for the live experience, and um, and we don't want to necessarily be reactionary to it. So ultimately, you know, you're seeing uh, some stats that are saying, you know, one in five of, of every millennial is going to a festival this year. You know, 25% of college grads are going to festivals. We're seeing an increase as, uh, in festival culture and the live experience as as we see an increase in how connected we are. So what is that relationship? I mean, you would think that as connected as every, everybody has a phone that you can you know, call anybody in the world and know where everybody's at, why would you need to go to a live event? 
I mean, you're more connected than you ever have been. So what is that relationship? And that's a fascinating one that even as connected as we are, we still feel the need to go to these events and feel connected with others, be it festivals or live experiences. So there's a huge opportunity, I think, in the live experience um, to infuse more technology, uh, both for the user on you know pre, post, and during event, but also in, for the experience itself, the sensory experience. So um, we hope to see a lot of people creating new companies and new ideas to really improve that live experience. Oh, uh, oh go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to build on it. I, I think there's two important dynamics. One you mentioned, Sarah, is the fact that, you know, this we're living in an age now where the way in which that artists make a living is through the live uh, experience and sort of all the ancillary um, revenue that comes from that. Um, and the other piece uh, that Chris is talking about um, is is the movement of uh, human beings to go to live shows. And you know, one of the I think most interesting stats that's out there is is that um, you know we talk a lot about the uh, festivals, and I think they're really important for the ecosystem. But we're also seeing the non-top 100 concert market growing um, at a, a super fast rate. Um, over the last 10 years, um, and now you're talking about globally hundreds of thousands of shows that are happening um, on a regular basis. So to Chris's point, there's, there's a big push both, I think, in terms of the way the industry uh, is evolving and the economics in the industry, but also clearly um, people are interested in seeing live music, and I think it's a, a major uh, area of opportunity, obviously, um, one that, that my company is focused on, but I think this panel is really apropos in terms of talking about that particular topic. Is that pretty obvious to the artist that that's, I mean, really the way way to go? I mean, especially for the, you said the non-top 100 artists. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, those garage bands just getting their first start. How, how, how are they working within this market now? Is this more beneficial to them or is it harder for them? Um, I think it's both. Uh, would be the answer to your question. And yes, uh, to answer your first question, that you know, artists are acutely aware that this is the way in which that um, they make a living today. Um, I don't think it's vastly different uh, for up-and-coming artists than it was um, you know, 20 years ago. Um, the, probably the biggest change is, is that you used to tour to promote your album, and now you use your music really um, to promote your tour, uh, yeah. by I and think, large, and that's been the big dynamic change. I think uh, a lot of the A&R development has shifted into the artist's hands, uh, and they're expected to take it to a place and build an audience and fan base to impress a gentleman like this that might put you on a tour or two in some of our clubs. clubs. And then, um, you know, when you start working your way, you know, the way we design our venues uh, in Los Angeles and California is you have a, a room at 500, you have a room at 1,000, and you just keep scaling it because you need to grow with the artists. And, um, you know, it, that development is really in the, in the agent's hands these days uh, when they find the right artist with the right metrics that was leveraging the right tools. Uh, we just had to talk about some artists we shared on a festival I produced in Palm Springs called uh, Splash House. I would say 80% of the artists on that bill, that's their first festival ever. We're literally pulling these DJs off of their SoundCloud metrics, their hype machine blog reposts, uh, and, and finding artists that make an impact on that platform. Um, and whether they have an agent or not, we're building a show around it. Um, I think uh, that development has, has gone into the, the agent's hands. Uh, and, and record labels, they're just finding the things with the, the, the peak metrics that they can glean and scale globally through their distribution channels. Um, so 
it has it has changed a lot. Um, you know, you can't be like Chubby Checker and release like all, tons of like dud records and and still have a career. Um, uh, you know, you, you're really gonna have to go through that for for yourself and and, and build a, a a fan base for yourself using all the new tools available out there. You've actually integrated quite a few interesting analytics and, and tools within uh, within festivals such as Coachella. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how you're using those tools to let uh, people like Chris know, you know, who to be promoting. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, there was a big disconnect between um, the on-site behaviors at festivals and, and, and where people are actually seeing. And really, that was the big advantage of festivals, uh, you know. Promoters weren't seeing much out of a ticket on a club show or an arena show. The margins are razor thin, um, but we could package a lot of artists together and do a, an on-site operation in a desert or a forest or something, and uh, and and really build a brand of a show. And uh, really, that's built on you know a couple great headliners that are making a ton of money, and then a whole slew of artists that are are mid-range and developing artists. Um, so there's this interesting dynamic there of like, you know, who's really driving the audience to this show? That question, you know, has been largely a very murky space up until now. Um, I mean, but when you, you would know the head artist is, is mainly pulling people in. How do you discover those, those little up-and-comers? Um, how do we discover them to book them? No, how do you know that that's also, that's become a, a popular sure. artist? Sure. I mean... Yeah, the old way is you ask your stage manager to look out in the right. crowd and uh, tell us how many people are there. Uh, the new way is uh, through through mobile apps. Uh, so we we uh, integrate um, a Bluetooth networks in our festivals now. Um, we did FYF and Bumper Shoot this past uh, summer, and we've done Coachella for a few years. We'll be doing all our music festivals in 2016 with Bluetooth networks that do constant reporting of geolocation data and give fans contextual awareness of where there are on site uh, and, and information logistics. Um, so typically for a fan, um, you know, I think at a FYF, a two-day show, we got 70 million um, data points of geolocation records. Um, that helps us in uh, the efficiency of our production operation security. It gets reported to us in real time. Uh, but also um, there's initiatives to use that data for the fan's advantage um, in surfacing um, like artists um, using the affinity, uh, a lot of the same technology you see in streaming with recommendations, engines, and uh, marketing clouds to just be smarter in connecting the fan to the artist based on their festival behaviors um, and supporting our club shows as a result. So um, I think one thing we've gotten really good at at festivals is launching engaging mobile products that are off the charts. Um, and uh, we've slowly incorporated um, ways to glean a little bit more data from those behaviors and now we're getting on the cusp of giving that data back to the fans. Um, so examples could be like telling you how long a queue line is for a shuttle. So you could be watching Calvin Harris and be like, if I leave right now, I can get on a shuttle in five minutes, but if I wait for this guy to go out, um, there's going to be an hour line shuttle for you to get home. Uh, we can do that with, um, you know... Uh, you can currently do that. We can currently do that. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, we can we can track dwell times as, as, as well as geolocation data based on site. So uh, the 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 frontier for me is using mobile data, it's not only to improve the show but improve the fan experience. How yeah. do, how does that integrate with what you're doing over at Tickafly? Well, we don't really do anything with Golden Voice. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, we do the Glass House and we do the Roxy. You're right. Oh, we do the Roxy. Oh. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think you know we we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, and a lot of a lot of what Gopi's doing in Coachella is it's kind of the at the very forefront of what everyone's doing in live music, and it's something that we've been putting a lot of thought into. I think that um, you know we were discussing this er earlier historically. Uh, the, the, the live music industry, venue owners, promoters, everyone looked to their ticketing company to be their innovative uh, technology solutions. Like, t you know, tell me what's new, tell me what I should be trying to do. And, um, you know, for the most part, they didn't really do very much outside of the ticketing silo. And I think you see um, what Golden Voice is doing and really uh, exploring other digital services as something that we see as something important to do as a ticketing company and become less of a ticketing company and considerably and eventually very much a technology company. I think that ticketing is just one aspect of all of, all of the all of the tools that we can offer to our promoters and our partners and also to, to provide a better experience for our fans. I think that. Um, you know, I, I forget the exact number, north of like 60 or 70% of a promoter's revenue comes from people inside of a venue. But right now, that's currently just a black hole of data. Like, we have no idea who influences who, how many people did you actually bring here, how much money have you spent across tons of venues over the past month, whatever. Like, we don't know, and the venue owners don't know, unless the bartender happens to recognize somebody. So we, we absolutely see expanding beyond ticketing and other digital services is the future of how we can really bridge offline and online. It seems like the festival is sort of uh, key to all of this. I mean, it's not just the live concert, but it's this whole experience around going to this mu to experience music. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know if this is going to get weird and deep, but I think that let's get weird and deep. So <laughs> weird. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think that yeah. um, you know, <laughs> people are you know we're always online, and I think uh, people love to explore that like just innately like biodiverse, we want to know about other things and why they are the way they are. And I think that, you know, the internet has been a great opportunity for, for us as humans to explore, but I think more and more we, we want to have a real life experience. And I think that live music has been uh, very, very helpful. I mean, I think, you know, we mentioned earlier that it, it, there's more bands on tour than ever. There's more shows than ever. Like, it's a, it's a very thriving industry. And I think um, festivals has bundled it up very well. It's yeah. like a little microcosm. Yeah. And I think that... Um, I, I don't know, you know, we were talking about, you know, how we influence people to go see more shows, and I think a festival's a great experience. When you go, usually you go with a group of people, and for the most part, you'll just kind of get high and follow your friends and go somewhere. Unless it's your absolute favorite, for, like, favorite band, you're, you don't really care what you see, you just want to have a really good time. And I think that that is something that we see as a, as a kind of a, a mental model of how we want to start to shape the, the, like, the club and the, like, I guess the, the in-between festival live music going experience. To, to sort of add to that, I mean, um, you know, festival culture and the con well, first of all, the concept of the festival, and, and I hate to say this, Gobi, but it's it's kind of a highly illogical thing that we do as a human species, and not to get too deep and weird about Let's it, but but you think about all the energy and time that goes into building, which is basically a temporary community. I mean, people are spending a lot of time and energy to build all of the resources and all of the infrastructure to create this experience that happens in one weekend and then you're done. You know, so and the same with the live experience. So the, the, we're doing these things as a human species for a reason, uh, and that's where the opportunity where where, where technologists can take advantage of uh, of understanding what is the human behavior behind why 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 do we feel so compelled to build these these things? You know, as as connected as we are, um, and that's where you know we can really 
add to what is that experience? What can we learn from that? And how can we cre uh, create a better experience for the user itself? Um, you know, a lot of the things so far, the, where we talked about this before, where technology's been integrated into the, the live experience has been a lot on the ticketing side, a lot on the logistics side, a lot of stuff that the user doesn't actually see. So a lot of the stuff that Golden Voice is doing is amazing and fantastic. Um, but a lot of the users don't really get to see the back end of it. And so we're also, on the artist side, on the talent side, are compelled to see, well, if we put some of this technology in the hands of creators, for instance, what kind of experiences can they create? Uh, one of the examples uh, I, I gave was one of my artists is Moby. He, we, we linked up with NASA, the space agency, to get footage from the cosmos, un, unseen footage. And then we, we, we did a performance at Coachella, one of, one of your festivals, and uh, we did a whole press release behind it and created a, a, a two-dimensional on the screens, an amazing show. Well, one of the things that we talked about was what if, what if we could experience that in, in virtual reality or using AR or some of these new technologies to create a unique experience where you give the tools to the hands of the creator and say, well, what can we create something more and give legs to it so people go to see it at Coachella, but they can experience it year-round, or somebody, uh, some guy in Moscow can't fly to you know the desert to see the festival, but he can still experience something like that, and and that gives, I mean, there's scalability to that, and I think there's a fear from the technology side and, and tech companies to get into the live space because they're like, how do I scale? You know, how can I really make a business model that's viable with a one-off experience? Yeah. And so this is where we can start talking about that's scalable. Right. Like, the, you know, there's and a, the other part just around that is, and again, staying in that kind of weird, uh, um, uh, intimate uh, area, but is the ability for technology to create more intimacy between the artist and the fan, mm -hmm. um, which I think is is started to really permeate, and there's a lot of discussion, um, and it's a pretty significant opportunity that didn't typically exist before, right? I mean, we've seen it some with um, Twitter and and Facebook and things like that, but I think we're on the precipice of seeing a lot more um, ways in which that, that fans and artists can connect with each other. Um, that also will transform the digital to live experience. I've, I found in my experience that there's a really odd suggestibility to festival goers on technology uh, initiatives. Uh, and I didn't quite believe it myself until we kept iterating and pushing new programs out there. I mean, I remember in 2011 when we're like, Okay, we're gonna have R we're gonna put an RFID chip on every one of these hundred thousand people, and people are gonna freak out because they think we're tracking them. And so, you know, I spent weeks like mulling over like copy, like we are not tracking your location. Well, we are you now. You are though. though. At the time, it was it, we are now, but at the time that felt like a really controversial thing. And then over two years, we were really just asking people to voluntarily register themselves onto that RFID wristband with name and email. But we started seeing the engagement rate on that was like over 60% voluntary with you know just the assumption that you might get a little bit better customer support. There, there was some on-site RFID social programs that kind of sucked. Um, but the, people kept engaging in this, and so we're like, well, if they're already doing it like 60% plus voluntary, we're just going to go across the board and make it 100%. Now RFID is proliferated to every corner of the festival market. Um, and uh, when I think about mobile apps and, uh, you know, when I, when someone first came to me, one of my vendors and said, uh, hey, there's this like Bluetooth technology, like, should we try this? And uh, so we launched a program, you know, we split the costs, did 60 beacons. And I'm like, are people really going to give me these permissions? You know, like, are, are they going to say, like, yes, I'm willing to be my geolocation tracking uh, services on and, and Bluetooth? 
uh, and I feel again, like it's the audience, though. It, it it is the it is the audience, but I think they're really those those events, those experiences create a really suggestible environment. Um, and then we talked about electronic music, the way they adopt technology. You know, point of sale is a is a big piece in festival technology. The big trend was cashless payments, uh, whether that's happening on RFID or mobile phones or or whatnot. Uh, the only place I've ever seen it successfully successfully deployed is electronic events, like when you do a closed loop payment system uh, and, and you tell an electronic fan, they're just sign up for the plan and then just start scanning away. But when I try to pull that off at like a show that LCD sound system headlines or something like that, like those fans will, will like, they just want to pay in cash and like, and card and like they'll, they'll never attach, go through that motion. And uh, I've seen it, you know, crumble in so many ways. So I think one thing that we talked about is like, there's one, a suggestibility, and one, there's like technologies that like, you know, fail in festivals too. Uh, and, I, and, you know, I think for the- Like what, for instance? Uh, you know, we talked about a Hologram Tupac. Uh, you know, that was a big moment in Coachella. Uh, and, and it did, it served us really well uh, uh, in, in terms of making a splash. It served Dr. Dre really well. Um, but, uh, you know, that company, Digital Domain, really went hard in the market in the, in the weeks prior to, to try to really sell this as a, a new initiative, a new technology. And I think they had a lot of things going with them, namely the cost of, of doing a program like that. Um, and, uh, you know, for all the hype and hysteria, it really didn't manifest didn't into anything, you know. Uh, Why do you think that is, though? What, what went wrong there? I mean, for you, it was great. It was a really great publicity. You know, it's a real simple thing that I feel like yeah. was part of the reason. Um, at Coachella, it's a flat field. And uh, it's a Pepper's Ghost effect with a 45 degree angle screen. And you have to actually be sitting underneath it to look up at it and see the effect. But when you talk about national touring and bowls and arenas, like once you go over the lower bowl, you actually can't see the Pepper's Ghost effect. Uh, I think that's one big reason. So basically, it left it to the festival market, and there's only a few people that can afford, you know, half million dollar deployments yeah. uh, for uh, gags. Do y'all think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, do you think? Do y'all think uh, maybe VR might might all? Because we're sort of on the precipice of VR, and there's a lot of hype of, around it. And and I've tried those VR headsets, and it really does. I mean, if you get the right headset, it really messes with your mind. You feel like you're actually there. It's kind of awesome. But yeah. do you think that's kind of going to be a flop or a... We're, we're, we're pretty bullish on, on VR, but obviously all of us here, I think, with the con general consensus is that, you know, there needs to be a tipping point where, you know, people need the headsets and the business models aren't created. But They don't feel... Like dorks putting it on their head either. No, but we're, we're not yeah. quite there yet, but it is tapping on a, what is an interesting new platform for experiencing uh, a, a live experience and music being one of the most universal ways of doing that. Uh, we feel like music's going to be a key driver for that, uh, but we're not seeing a lot of VR companies that are investing in the music experience. So we're we're excited to see new entrepreneurs that are going to create something. I mean, ultimately, you know, all of us have phones in our hands, and those are all music players in first iteration. So we, we think as as music as we all kind of know that music is a great way to introduce new technology, but VR as a platform is never going to recreate the live experience. I mean, that that's become very clear to us that if you you know initially when people see the headsets, they're like, well, we can be just like we're at Coachella, and it's like, you're never going to recreate being just like Coachella, and I don't think anybody really wants that. But what it can do, putting it in the hands of, of creators 
and fans is creating a new way to see like a, the new type of music video or the new type of creative content. You know, I, I think the industry is, is always tend to commodify music and say, okay, we're going to press it into vinyl and sell it. And you know, it's been fueled for for decades on that model. It can, could VR be the new commodification of music? It, it it is quite possible if you can create unique experiences around that. Um, so I, I think you know the music industry tends to fear. I hate to say this, this is, I don't mean over-stereotype, but the music ten industry tends to fear new technology to a certain extent because they made money in, on, in the old business model. And so I think there's a little bit of trepidation when it comes to VR and saying, well, is it going to change how I make money? Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, we've seen, and we said, we said this with streaming as well, when people are like, you know, the live events were like, well, you know, you know we don't want you to stream the event because that's going to prevent people from coming down to the show. And what we've seen is the opposite. Yeah. People get more interested to come to the you show. You can't stop people from periscoping. I mean, it's, it's no. happening anyway. Yeah. And so ultimately, embracing technology is, is the best possible thing to do. We've seen time and time again where, you know, resisting those, those technological changes is, is you're, you're going against history, you know, so. Just out of curiosity, does, in the room, does everyone, does, how does, like, does VR just feel like space age still? Like, I mean, I don't know, raise your hand if you don't really buy into it. Huh. How oh. many people have a VR headset in this room? Okay, there's yeah. your problem. Well, so, uh... Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So, sure. Now you go to uh, the four o'clock session. There's a VR the session VR today, session, yeah. and uh, Lauren and a couple of people from will, the high end, really thousands of dollars to Google Cardboard, which is like twenty bucks. I mean, I put a yeah. I put a VR app out on market last year. It was our first VR app uh, distributed through uh, the Google Play Store based on Cardboard SDK, and. Uh, I know no one here has it because there's like 300 downloads. Uh, and uh, compared to like 350,000 downloads for our festival app, and, and if you want to try it, if you want to boost my downloads, it's the Coachella Explorer <laughs> app. Uh, and, you know, just found a lot of challenges in the marketplace, you know, um, in, in distributing the content, uh, in, in finding developers that were really familiar with the uh, approval processes and can really design I mean I think everyone's still figuring those pieces so out and then there's no headset so like who am I really trying to get to down there's like three people in this room with headsets that are gonna download this app apparently um, so it's it's really mature um, you know I think for you know brands that drive a lot of sponsorship value um, it'll be a product to create you know branded content uh, similar to what New York Times did this past weekend um, but ultimately, the big race is getting headsets out there so we can drive adoption and get some real users on these platforms. Yeah, I think the larger um, point that, that you brought up is, is, you know, how do we take technology and use that to create value rather than just be some cheap novelty? And Kobe, I think you've been on the forefront of trying to figure this stuff out. But that's the critical thing is, is like, can we use VR as a way in which you know that we create experiences that will ultimately drive value in the ecosystem and and help artists and and um, you know others who are trying to make a living here, um, and I think it's super interesting from a perspective of like introducing people to artists or experiences that they might not um, already you know they may not know the artist they may not know the festival, um, so there's a way in which that you know if you can have that kind of immersive experience because we know that video is one of the key drivers of you know, introducing people to artists and things like that. So if used the right way, it could be a really powerful uh, tool. If technology used just for you know, pure novelty's sake, then I don't think it'll take off and nobody's gonna accept it ultimately. Um, and that's the trick of 
technology, you know, as we're all in this industry, is to figure out, you know, how do we, um, you know, there's so many companies that are out there trying to uh, um, figure out solutions and different ways of, of um, you know, moving the needle. How do we coalesce that into uh, something of value and not just a lot of noise? Because consumers right now are overwhelmed with all the different technology solutions that are out there, and it's incumbent upon us to be really smart and not just dilute um, what's good, um, uh, ultimately. So anyway, that's my 30-second uh, of uh, piece on, on what we need to do right in the music yeah. world. And, but ultimately, I think to answer your question in a nutshell, it's, it's still early days for something like mm -hmm. VR, but we've seen, um, you know, there, there was, within a couple of years ago, people were saying streaming music's not going to be, you know, there are people resisting streaming music, and now it's kind of a take-in. got Apple in the game. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's Spotify, Apple, it, it, it's kind of like, that's, that's done, that battle's already been won, you know, so, you know, ultimately, like, is this something that could, you know, hit a tipping point within uh, a year or two? Like, as entrepreneurs, and as many of you are, I think that's kind of now's when you would start yeah. a business it, like it, that. It's going to take a leap of faith for anyone that is entering the VR market and uh, the people that get rewarded in all these technological in innovations are the people that take those first steps and those leaps of faith. And you don't know what the next iteration of any of these headsets or software that's coming out, how that will enable uh, the, the fundamentals of the frameworks that you've created before. So um, in the end, it's about mustering the resources to stay on the cusp of the conversation and, and, and keep trying and keep iterating until the, the right platform hits that really scales the entire market. Right. Yeah, I think it's absolutely inevitable that VR will, whether it's this generation in, in this room or a bunch of kids that are still in high school is going to be a huge part of music in the future, probably two or three years. Yeah, it's, people said the same thing about, you know, some people were like, what, why would the internet ever take off? Why would, you know, and that's, I mean, the, the smartphone basically is our brain at this point and we use internet constantly i mean you know i'm probably gonna remember to check in on my swarm app later right and uh, you know i'm sure you see uh artists i don't know if Ticketfly, um how you quantify who's buying what or how you how you work with it with with each of these people but maybe if we talked a little bit about um advancing the infrastructure around the experience of of uh of these music, you know, uh, music artists. So I guess, uh, I mean, around providing more data and, mm -hmm. and understanding of the demographic. I mean, I, I mean, I think that really kind of goes back to, um, I mean, if, if as we as we go beyond ticketing, as we beyond as we create more new types of digital services and technology, I think the the north star of all of that is that it needs to be value add. It needs to be something that isn't gimmicky. I think it has to it has, it has to it has to be something that folks are really excited about. I think the anecdote about RFID and the adoption, I think people genuinely just wanted to walk in faster, and I think that was a good enough excuse to have an RFID band on their on their wrist. Um, I think that we're still, and I think, I don't know if anyone's playing the precipice drinking game, we've probably said it 30 times, but um, I think we're still very much in the early stages of how we balance how much interaction we want to have with people. We want to we want to create a better experience, but we also want to kind of stay the fuck out of the way. Like we don't want to just, we don't want people on their phones the whole time. And so I think that, you know, the more data that we can get in the way that we can, I guess, kind of uh, finesse it in is, is going to be really important. I think, you know, we were talking about beacon technology, and I think, uh, 
and, and Gobi, I know you've used them to some degree, and I think, you know, it'd be really interesting for us to know if you're an incredible, like, Uber fan. Say you were standing in the front row of a venue um, for four hours through three opening acts just to see that see that uh, headlining artist. Um, it would be great if we could send you a push notification that was like, you know, thanks, 30% off merch for being a loyal fan or something like that. So I think that that's kind of the, I guess, how we're framing all of the technologies that we're working on is how can we actually create value for all the fans, but at the same time provide more value uh, to our partners. Do you think privacy, I, I know we talked about uh, maybe it being the audience that cares or does not care about RFID, but do you think privacy might play a role in all of this? Because I almost feel like if it's a, a certain, at a certain age, you start to care more about privacy and yeah. security. I, absolutely. I think it's, it's going to play a big part of it. To tell you the truth, in my last seven iBeacon deployments at festivals, uh, I really feel like I'm just taking advantage of a lot of ambivalence in the marketplace of, <laughs> of like people just like, all right, okay, okay, I'm giving you all the permissions and your cell phone's going to die in about three hours. Uh, but um, I, I can't rest on my laurels that that ambivalence is always going to be there. And you even see in the latest iterations of Android and iOS, they're making it much more aware of what data you're reporting to what apps at any given time. I think I, I imagine that trend to continue more tools in the hands of the consumers to be very aware of what data is being communicated, which challenges me to create more engaging apps that give back uh, to the fans. So, like, hey, no one here is complaining when you get a Waze report that there's an accident tw two, two miles ahead of you. That's wonderful. You need to close that data loop in the favor of the fans for them to continue engaging in your app and, and giving you this wonderful treasure trove of data that you can slice, dice, and, and interpret in a bunch of ways. So um, I, I think that uh, as people become more aware of their privacy rights, we actually have to double down on our efforts to create more compelling products using that data for them. Hmm. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> that was really well put. All right, then. <laughs> That worked really well. Uh, what do you see, besides VR coming down the line, what do you see uh, technology in the future, it, it, maybe two, three, five years out, what do you see the festival experience, the live concert experience becoming? AR. <laughs> VR to AR. No, no, but uh, you know, th there are there are a lot of, you know, on the talent side, you know, there's a lot of experimentation. I mean, we talked about, you know, Gobi mentioned how, like, you know, ravers love technology and, and how, like, <laughs> electronic music is a great platform for uh, for, for digital technology. And that's, that's precisely because, uh, it, not, not just because I'm championing electronic music, but this is how the, the millennials and this generation assimilates technology and this is the music that they're listening to. So it's, it's not, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, we have artists that are breaking overnight just stri strictly on social media and, and, you know, artists are creating stuff in the bedroom and all of a sudden, you know, we have an artist that's playing Coachella next year and literally we're high school kids, you know, like a, a year ago. So, you know, how does that happen? So this is the pace at which the music industry is going to start moving and certain aspects are moving this quickly. And this is also the pace that technology moves. So um, ultimately understanding how millennials are using uh, technology and assimilating music, I think is going to be the key to new innovations. Hmm. You know? I, I'll, I'll say something maybe a little controversial. Um, this is more opinion than fact. But my hope is, is that some things don't change three to five years from now. You know, if you think about like um, why we go see live music, it's the same reason today as we did, you know, 10,000 years or whatever. Um, you know, there's just sort of a innate, strong human, I just want to be in an environment with people and I don't need to necessarily be connected and have headsets and do all that sort of stuff. So 
in my mind, um, you know, there, as we introduce technology, I think there'll also be a level of rejection if we try and push it too far. Um, so to the extent that it's convenient, RFIDs or, you know, push notifications around, you know, getting merch or drinks or things. But then I also think people are also just like, leave me alone. Let me watch my show um, and enjoy it. So. Um, I, I think we're going to keep pushing those boundaries and, and keep the fans connected. I mean, ultimately, if I don't create an engaging app for them, there's going to be another app out there that is uh, getting their attention span. And for, for a show, and I think, again, Coachella is uniquely positioned, but I mean, it's one of our only frontiers at this point is digital. So if I want to expand uh, the eyeballs that experience the show, the brands that are participating in the show, you know, uh, this, this is the, uh, the only frontier. I mean, I, I can't sell another ticket, and I think everyone's aware of that if you try to log on and see our crash website. Um, but, uh, you know, so we're, we're pushing the boundaries of, of, of what broadcast is and how people are, are, are experiencing from a voyeur perspective uh, and how people are engaging on site and giving them experiential tools to engage. So even when a sponsor comes to us and says, hey, we want to get involved in your uh, app, uh, you know, I'm just like, okay, so what are you going to do for the fans? Like, you know, you're not, I'm not just going to stick an ad in this thing. Like, uh, help me enable the fans to do something that enhances their experience. And that's how we approach each one of those partnerships. So it's calling the brand to actually give something back rather than just push something to the fans. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Unless you just want Brandon said screen from a 40 by 40 tent. And, the, you know, that's like totally lame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we, I don't know if we have enough time for questions. Do we have time for questions? For that? To give the audience some questions? I'm, I'm guessing. We've got 15. Yeah, let's take some questions from the audience. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so I'm really interested in speaking more about how to use the technology to put us in a situation where the phones maybe do all get turned off and we have this unique experience that's really special and kind of scary because I've noticed I've been attending festivals. I'm an artist, a performing artist. I just did the Joshua Tree Music Festival and was the artist at large. I've been there. It's and cool. this, yeah, right? So cool. Go, go to the Joshua Tree Music Festival. But anyway, this moment when all of a sudden technology is gone, you're off the grid, and you need to like look in each other's eyes and feel something that has nothing to do with going through an app. And those, those moments, like even just talking about it right now, I get so excited because I'm trying to pare down the experience and take people through something that's sensory integration and have a moment of sensory deprecation before. So say we're all connected, we use these apps to get us all in this moment, and then all of a sudden, maybe it's an app that just turns off every phone in the building. <laughs> and like, now what? It's my worst nightmare. And yeah, maybe I don't think that's <laughs> ever gonna happen. <laughs> but then, then all of a sudden, you have a performance, and maybe it's super raw, and it starts a cappella, and these hearts start to beat together on a vibration together. And we go back to that raw experience, but we're using the technology to get us all there. So it's, it's working together at its finest. It's the online, offline experience where the artist and, I mean, what you guys do blows my mind. My mind has been blown today. I can't believe the things that are happening. And I'm here to take advantage. I want to collaborate. I want to figure out how to reach more people in an authentic way where they can really interact and have something that is dear to them that they'll remember forever and it carries them forward. So what about apps like that? I mean, how do you feel about that, right? Sure. Phone off, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. How I mean, exciting. I mean, I think uh, the experience first, right? So, I mean, when, when you go to a show, 
you know, we create c c compelling art, we curate awesome food, and we put the best bands in the world on, and all of that together creates that heartfelt, emotional moment. And um, to me, the digital interactions is just part of the palette of the experience. And so you can turn off your phone and you can experience that show in a quite a blissful way. Uh, but if you wanted to use that as a tool to enhance that experience, um, then then we have we're offering that to you. Uh, but I agree, um, you know, in, in 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 our efforts in the coming years, we are working on ways to in, uh, input sentiment and emotion uh, that I can uh, you know relate to a lot of the geolocation data, so we can track whether you're having a, a bad time or a good time, and I can resurface that way in in interesting ways with like lighting designers and and things like that. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're working towards you know beyond basic level data, like how, how do we evoke the same emotion and, and, and pride and experiences? I think the, the only yeah. time you are probably going to truly be unplugged with an artist is probably a really special event like maybe Burning Man, because that's I think that's particularly known that you just unplug at that experience, but most places that's really not the case. Right, it's not, and is it still on? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, I'm back. So I agree. That's and, you asking know, a lot for people to turn off their phone. It is asking a lot, but yeah. I love to ask a lot. I like to challenge sure, my ask. audience. Yeah. You know, I think it's yeah. really exciting. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm bringing this up because at Burning Man, right, I was there and people were climbing into a teapot with me in the air and I was having an intimate live performance with them over tea. It was sacred. And some of the connections that happened in that teapot, there were no phones in that moment. They didn't touch them. They yeah. had them with them. I use my phone at festivals. Sure. But I do feel like part of the power is that focus. And so we can all connect on the same vibration together. Yeah. And if yeah. we're you just distracted, well, I, people have to know that that's I think when you're on stage, it's your experience. And that's the way we try to treat all our shows and artists. So um, yeah. tell the phones to turn, tell them to turn off their phones. Yeah. yeah. I have a question. Uh, that's really awesome, by the way, what you were saying. Um, I think, I think this is really cool, the whole idea of the virtual reality just getting back to technology. I know at like Coachella and some of these other big festivals, they have these special areas. I think they, if you pay like 300 bucks, you get to like sit in a pool and watch, you know, Ozzy play or something. I'd like to know but where yeah, that I'm area like, what? is. Yeah. No, there, there are yeah. some of these Who do you know? they have like these extra special <laughs> VIP areas. What if you had a special area inside one of these festivals that was for VR? And people who paid a little extra got into that area and got a set. You gave yeah. them a set and showed them that. I'll do you one better. Uh, last year we had three VR activations at the show with three different sponsors, and it was free for everyone. No one had to pay for anything. Uh, ultimately, I think the the partners we bring to the table, we ask them to bring experiences to the table uh, and not just branded, uh, you know, tchotchkes. And so uh, everyone wants that technological edge. They want to be thought leaders. So, uh, you know, we had the Samsung Gear VR, we had cardboard, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're trying our best to expose the fans to new experiences in the same way we expose them to new bands and new art uh, every year. Uh, so I, I agree with you, and I agree it's a platform to expose folks yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, think about like yeah. movies. Think about the 3D movies that we yeah. see. You know, they give us the glasses. We go in. We choose to see it or not. You know, but I mean, I think there definitely is a, a market for it. And people like Moby. I've interviewed Moby. He's mm -hmm. great, and he does a lot of that cool stuff. And there's a lot of artists that would really benefit mm -hmm. from that. So shutting off the phone is one thing, but then enhancing the experience. You know, giving people that option is always 
better than no. In the end, it's, it's a place to discover. It's also, yeah. I mean, the, the VR experience. We don't necessarily see it as something that would live in the live environment because it, it's not yet social because mm-hmm. you're kind of not communicating with other people. Yeah, yeah and which is why when I, I said AR, I realized some people might not know what AR, augmented reality, basically is like almost like a Google Glass where you're, you're enhancing the experience. So artists, for instance, like a movie could have the cosmos coming at you, but you're still watching him and you can still see your friends. So that's where we see AR potentially living in the live experience where people can enhance people's experience. But I will agree to a certain extent with, with the whole analogy of being able to turn off. And I, I, I don't necessarily see technology and performance as dueling things. Uh, in the Burning Man context, when you go to obviously, if you're a burner, you know you, it's more uh, the philosophy of thinking of technology, and that's why technologists are attracted to something like Burning Man because they're able to experiment and disrupt and and play around with performance. And so I, I don't necessarily we need to see these things as dueling qualities that say like they can coexist and it can enhance our experience and make it more authentic. Uh, you know, artists are using technology. When you're using an instrument or any kind of powered instrumentation, that's technology. So these are these. This is a new extension of performance, so to speak, and experience um, they, that they can coexist as long as you're doing it authentically and in, in a real way. So uh, and 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 also think. You know, we're talking about VR a lot and using your eyeballs and interpreting that. But what about hearables and like? You know, how, how can we put devices in your ear that let you augment the audio uh, experience at the show? Uh, we're partners with folks at Doppler Labs. We deployed uh, tons of earplugs, hearing safety, last year with them. And they have a product on the market called Here that will allow you to control the EQ levels in real time uh, at any event or show. Um, and, and what else can you do with that? Yeah, look it up. Doppler Labs, Dubs, uh, they have a product called Here. Um, and uh, you know, you think about being your own sound man, uh, controlling those mechanisms. I mean, that's still augmented reality, but you know, it's in your ears. And maybe there are better applications to think about how you augment the experiences than putting a mobile phone to your eyeballs. Yeah, there's also <laughs> the the sub pack guys that are doing tactical tactile bass as well, where you're actually feeling uh, the sound frequencies on your body. Um, and you're not actually, it's not going through your ears and that, that, you know, can heighten, you know, I mean, you listen to the Beatles on Subpack, you didn't even realize there was low end ranges that were there that you can't actually hear because you're never listening to Beatles on like a function one festival sound system, you know, so you're actually hearing it the way that the artist is producing. So that those are technologies that are there, that are, that are available to us and to artists, you know. Hi. Um, I want to touch on something that you guys mentioned before in terms of festival culture and festival community. Um, So we see technology fitting in a lot of different areas in festivals, um, but we also see a lot of the stigma that's associated with massives and with, you know, drugs superimposed on um, dance music culture in itself. Yeah, dance music culture in itself. Um, So where do you see... Where do you see social good fitting into these small cities, these small communities within festival culture? Because at the base of a lot of, let's say, dance music, um, are you know the origins and the the sense of community bonding that come with that. So how does social good fit into these little metropolises, so to speak? Yeah, what I was mentioning before, when I spoke at a festival in Thailand and mentioned the same thing, that festivals, to a certain extent, are experiment in community. You know, and, and there's a lot to be learned from them. A lot of people see it as just like, oh, this is just something I can do. You know, it's, the kids just run out and have a crazy experience. But if you, I mean, not to keep going back to Burning Man, but that's a huge experiment on how do you how do you provide for others, you know, infrastructurally. I mean, for all intents and purposes, the guys at Golden Voice are building mini cities. 
you know, and, and we're going there to experience something, but you have to have food and resources and all these other things. So are there lessons learned from festivals can, that can permeate how we live our lives? I think there's a lot to be explored there. And, uh, and technology can be used to harness those data points, like what these guys are doing with geolocation and finding out how people interact and how they move. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I think there's a lot to be learned. I'm yeah. not a sociologist, but, I, you know, I would love I to I think experiment. the opportunity in electronic, uh, that, that stigma you speak of, is actually conquering that stigma and creating solutions that, you know, you know, there's lots of news this past few weekends on the raves in Pomona and San Bernardino and 500 arrests and the drug stuff. I mean, it was big news in Los Angeles. Um, you know, how do we get communities more comfortable? How do we give them tools for um, the tools for the fans to be able to call first aid, medical, security, um, and uh, logistical support um, for the emergency operations? Are there services and skills there that can be offered, particularly in the electronic space? Um, so I, I think there's ways you use con uh, technology to conquer that stigma. That stigma is real. You know, any event producer will tell you that you get chased out from town to town when you tell them you're throwing a rave. That's why no one uses the word rave anymore. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, you're, you're very accurate. There, there's a stigma and use that as an opportunity, you know? to span uh, music events from happening on LA County. And one of the biggest issues that is brought up is this idea of instilling social responsibility. Mm -hmm. So how does that translate to the different technological developments that are happening within Golden Voice, within you know, artist management, ticket management? Is it just the responsibility of the event promoter or is it the responsibility of the ticketing company? At what point does that education happen and how does that translate to the technology that comes about? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I've seen Electric Zoo uh, have initiatives where they ask people to watch promotional videos before they activated their wristband. That was done through their mobile app and website. That was an interesting take on, on that. Um, you know, there is a high level of engagement on the mobile apps, especially with the electronic shows. So working with the promoters, like, like just broach the question with them. Like, how do we use this? Like, are there tools available on the market? Um, uh, I, I'm suspecting there are, and I know of, of a few, and I'm happy to connect with you afterwards. Um, but uh, th I think the ticketing is a touch point, obviously, um, with communications to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's an absolute required gate to get a yeah. ticket to go into something. And I think that having forums for these type of conversations, I, I think that, you know, it's not something that really has come up quite a bit. But I think, you know, even hearing what I've heard from now um, with Electric Zoo, I mean, there's certainly a zillion things that we can do having an app and having everyone have to go through us to, in order to get their ticket, where we can put certain, cert, we, we can provide information, we can make certain information required to see. So um, I would say that's something that would be interesting to do moving forward. Yeah. Um, I have a question um, based on, I guess, sort of the human aspect in curation of these live events and how the data um, sort of has affected the way that these events are curated. Um, so when you talk about picking an artist up out of their bedroom that you know might be a high school student and he has a million plays on SoundCloud because he uploaded a Flume and Biggie remix and it just happened to pop off on something because that you know is happens all the time. Yeah. Um, how how do you see that affecting the live music experience and how people are now shifting to this this mode of tech in the development of music and in the experience of, of taking in that music and how sort of the old system of A&Rs and this curation and bringing up musicians um, 
has has changed to a way that now I mean not to sell my friend out but I know somebody that played at Coachella last year who I recently saw perform a, a live DJ set and literally we've all seen these videos online was was not pressing anything and was just making it look like he was playing and I like the dude and I'm happy for him that he played Coachella He's your friend <laughs> but I was I'm sort of amazed um, at at how how the music event and how the live music experience has changed based on technology and how maybe Ticketfly and Pandora may be working with their curation through data. Um, I know that that's going to be there. There's a there's huge potential for some really cool yeah. things to happen there. Um, can you guys speak a little bit to like the human element of that curation and how if that's impacted at all? Which is if it's not, that's cool. But I'm just cu curious and. Um, or if it is more just like numbers driven and it's business and if so, sure. understandable. Well, I was gonna say, so um, I think if you take a step back and look at music at a, at a macro level, there's just a jazillion people making music of whether whether it's a mashup or whether whatever it is, there's just a lot out there. And I think that um, it's, it's very hard. I mean, to curate through all of that, there's gotta be, you know, for every song you like on SoundCloud, there's probably 10,000 tracks that are, you would equally like like there's so much content and i think that you know i think festivals are kind of an interesting sort of curation i think that people trust the coachella brand and they trust that they're going to bring acts that are going to be entertaining and i think that that's an interesting method of discovery so a lot of people that go to shows i think that they or go to festivals rather go to coachella maybe they have two or three bands that they're excited to see or two or three artists that they're excited to see but then they just kind of follow their friends and they go to see what you know whatever is interesting. And I think that that's a, that's an interesting method of discovery. And then you guys have like you know great tracking to see if you know you sure. have the stage manager looking out to see how many people are out there. Yeah, I think I think you're you're broaching a really important topic because I get solicited by vendors all the time. Like we're gonna track all these metrics for you and tell you exactly who to book. And uh, if if we use tools like that to the the furthest extent, our shows would be headlined by Iggy Azalea and Macklemore, and you would never get a Stone Roses or at the drive-in or anything like that um, so it, it takes a fine balance I think you know uh, one thing at, at, at Golden Voice we pride ourselves in developing curated experiences so actually all 150 of those acts are booked by one person Paul Tillette who's been <laughs> booking for 40 years uh, and he uses his skill and you know we, we surface te uh, data and reports to him so he just kind of interprets them but really I mean he's, a, he's an artist and that's how he approaches his booking um, and we could use all these tools to strengthen but like you in the end, uh, you know, it's an art. It's an art to us, and and the way we curate the food, and the way we book the bands, and the way we curate art installations. Um, I don't know if there's an algorithm that's ever gonna, you know, yeah. do the, that for the us. festival yeah. genome. Yeah, on the agency A and R as well. I mean, it's the same thing where you do look at social metrics, but ultimately, a lot of the festivals and the agencies, you have to sort of be ahead of the curve, and yeah. sometimes metrics can't tell you what's going to happen next. So there is a bit of an, an uh, there's the science side and there's the, the art side to trying to predict, you know, wh what's the next wave and those kinds of things because you want to be ahead of them. I mean, the, the number one thing that factors in our booking is performance at our club shows. And that's why we work with agents year round and see how acts are, you know, performing and how they're selling. Uh, so that's, that's the number one metric, I think, that we use to book. Yeah, and then you know, with um, you know the Pandora acquisition of Ticketfly, obviously we are on, we 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 basically came across a treasure trove of data that is unbeknownst to anybody else. Like just so much, so much. I think it's number one uh, by app usage in America over like Facebook, just time that people are using Pandora. Um, so there's tons and tons of data, um, but. 
I don't think that I, I think that it's an unfair assumption to say you know just because you listen to these folks on Pandora and thumbs them up means that you want to go see them live. I think that there's a little discrepancy in that, and so I think that a lot of the data will influence some of the curation, but it'll absolutely be uh, a human and uh, algorithm-based curation moving forward. Uh, well, we are out of time, but I encourage anyone who has a lingering question to come up and, and speak to our panelists. And uh, thanks for coming. Yeah.